Hello, my name is Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price, a medical oncologist and president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series of podcasts, I'm interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country, indeed in the world, to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. This podcast was recorded at the World Conference of Lung Cancer in Barcelona, and midway through the conversation, the heavens opened and the rain came down, and you'll be able to hear that rainfall in the background partway through this recording. Welcome to this uh, edition of the Lung Cancer Voices podcast, and I'm pleased to be uh, sitting down with Dr. Ross Camage. Um, he and I have certain similarities in that we're both UK-trained oncologists who are now in North America, uh, and there um, the similarities end as his career has taken him to the uh, top of the tree. He's director of thoracic oncology at the University of Colorado. Um, but the other um, thing that we have in common, and it's the topic of uh, today's podcast, is around the uh, use of cannabis which has been legal in Colorado now for uh, five years or so, and then was legalized for recreational use in Canada and more widespread medical use, followed thereon uh, in October 2018, so just under a year ago. And there's a lot of questions that we all face in the clinic all the time about the role of cannabis uh, products in uh, the causation or treatment or treatment of symptoms of cancer in general, and so um, that is what we're going to talk about today. So welcome to the podcast, well, Dr. Thanks, thanks for having me. Um, so we'll get straight into it. Um, do you think cannabis causes lung cancer? Is there any evidence for that? I suspect cannabis itself does not cause lung cancer. Um, most of the studies are difficult to interpret because what you usually do is you go to a, a bunch of people and you say, did you smoke marijuana? And then you look forward and you see their risk of developing lung cancer. But very few people smoke, you know, a pack of 20 joints a day. So they, they were often smoking tobacco as well or cutting the marijuana with tobacco. And I suspect the issue is burning something and then inhaling it into your lungs is probably not a great idea, no matter what it is. Um, I think the marijuana itself probably is not carcinogenic. And certainly when we get on to talk about using it as a medical treatment, I would never suggest people inhale it. Uh, it would always be taken orally or occasionally if you have achy joints topically. So in terms of the inhaling it, mixing it with tobacco is going to be related to the tobacco-associated risks, but otherwise you think it's more more just burnt chemicals that we inhale. Yeah, I, th I think, you know, burning stuff produces nasty stuff and taking it into your lungs is not a great idea. Now, there's other ways of inhaling cannabis with bongs and... Yeah, and certainly, you know, by filtering it through water, that, uh, you know, removes some of it. But, you know, you can be a hooker smoker and just, just run into the similar problems. So, again, you have a sensitive lining in your lungs, and uh, especially if you've got lung cancer, that sounds like a really bad idea to go and irritate it. Okay, so question number one, does cannabis cause lung cancer? I'm hearing you say that in of itself, maybe not, but inhaling burned cannabis, probably yes. Well, so I think you could say, does um, 
do napkins cause lung cancer? And the answer is no, but if you set fire to them and inhaled them, maybe yes. So what, what about um, if, if we move away from, the, from inhaled or smoked cannabis to uh, other, fo other forms, whether eaten or oils, um, could cannabis be claimed to be a treatment for lung cancer? So this is, I, I think, you know, there's something about being human in the sense that we all desperately want there to be one treatment for everything, and it's amazing and fantastic, and there are gazillions of testimonials of people telling you this. The reality is, of course, just like we know from uh, more orthodox medicines, there is no one treatment. I mean, the whole future and, and present of treatment of lung cancer is personalized therapy, and so the idea that marijuana works for every cancer is somewhat silly. There is a hint of truth to it. So certainly... Uh, I've had at least one colleague who has treated one young man who had a, a testicular cancer and uh, he had some learning difficulties and his, his mum who was looking after his case said, you know, we're not going to have any of that filthy chemotherapy. I'm just going to give him super high doses of marijuana. And the guy's cancer actually did shrink, not dramatically and more importantly, not for very long. A few weeks later, it was growing again. So there's a little bit of truth that in some people marijuana can cause some shrinkage of the cancer. There is zero evidence in lung cancer that it works. And I think also the kind of marijuana that people are using is, is often something called Rick Simpson's oil, which is very high THC uh, oil-based product. And it makes you feel very unwell, very spacey. So I wouldn't use marijuana as a primary anti-cancer treatment, certainly for lung cancer. You mentioned the high THC and CBDs and THC, different formulations and different concentrations. Is there a, to your knowledge, is there a biological rationale for why they might work? In, for example, in the, the case that you mentioned? Well, so, so these, the, the reasons they work at all is they bind to receptors. There are cannabinoid receptors, and presumably there are downstream consequences um, that in some cancers uh, makes them rather unhappy. Um, but that's a relatively rare phenomenon. Right, okay. And as you said, I think there's no evidence to date in lung cancer specifically. Correct. Okay, so we've gone through causation and treatment of cancer, but most people come to us in the clinic, I get asked all the time um, to treat symptoms. Yeah. So what would you say is the the benefits of, of treating symptoms? What symptoms? What kind of formulations um, do we do? Should we recommend this uh, ahead of more conventional medications or as a last last line of option? So I think we're still on a voyage of discovery for this, but uh, I have certainly become convinced that it does work for a number of symptoms. Uh, again, higher CBD tends to work mostly for a lot of the symptoms. And, and the kind of symptoms we're talking about are, uh, it works very well for stimulating appetite. It can work on anxiety. It can treat insomnia. Um, and in some people, it can also treat pain. Now, I think just in the same way that one painkiller can work for one person, but not another, marijuana works for some people's pains, but not others. I've certainly had some people who have been able to come off opiates completely, and in others, it's had no effect. And do you, do you prescribe yourself or do you send your patients to a, a medical marijuana specialist clinic? 
so my it's a little in its infancy i'd say because at the moment what i do is i um i'm able to issue them a card that allows them access to medical marijuana but then they just go to a dispensary and you could have a 19 year old guy standing behind the counter who says yeah oh i think this stuff's good so we're the trouble is we're at the point where we're saying hey medical marijuana is a good idea but the amount of sensible data-informed guidance that we're giving is a bit like saying go into a liquor store and say I'd like some alcohol please but without specifying what it is and we're just hoping the guy behind the counter can you know hand you a beer or a glass of wine or something so you you've mentioned it's a good treatment for appetite stimulation insomnia some forms of pain when I see someone in the clinic with insomnia when we've sort of worked through non-pharmaceutical options, um, then, you know, I might prescribe a sleeping tablet. Yeah. Would you, would, would you suggest trying that first or would you go straight to cannabis oils or, or, and we'll come on to kind of what type of things, or is it just on a case-by-case basis? Well, bear in mind... The thing about medical marijuana is it puts the patient in control. They go buy it. They go take it themselves. It's not a prescription as yet because we don't really have the data to say you should take this many milligrams. Often it's not even available in terms of the milligrams or how often you should take it or what means you should take it by. And so I think a lot of people will actually try it on their own. Um, Certainly in Colorado... uh, you know, my own uh, my own parents-in-law, you know, when you sort of have a quiet conversation with you, you go, well, you know, should we go to a dispensary? And they go, we, we already have. And you go, well, when? Well, I was out there the other day and I was just curious. So people people have a relatively low threshold for trying it, partly because it's being pushed as this panacea that works for everything. Um, so... I mean, the historical model of a physician-patient relationship, the, the power resided with the physician prescribing and the patient following that prescription order. Yeah. And, you know, now we're in an era where there's much more partnership between physicians and patients. But you're kind of suggesting it's going f- more fully towards the patient in in this regard yeah i mean i think in the same way that you wouldn't expect your patient to uh get a prescription for tylenol they would just go buy it themselves that's kind of where we are i think you have to recognize that this is going on and what i try and do is ask for an open and honest relationship and so i often say are you taking any supplements are you taking any medical marijuana in the hope that if they're taking it this week or next week, they just bring that up as, as part of a normal conversation and they're, they're not sort of doing it behind the scenes. And do you, uh, when you maybe make a recommendation to try medical marijuana and you write the, the card so they can go and make a purchase, do you have a recommendation in, in terms of the type of the formulation, be it an oil or baked or so there are, there are, uh, inhaled? 
two main ways. So first of all, I say, you know, you're going to take it orally, so an, an, an edible. And that really comes either as some kind of small candy. Um, it can be sort of like a gummy bear. It can be more like a little mint. Um, and, and the alternative is is an oil that you drop in some water and then you drink it down. The, the advantage of the oil is it's kind of infinitely titratable to whatever dose you want. Um, other people might find, you know, drinking oily water is not terribly pleasant. Um, and some people prefer the kind of little candies. The key thing is you should educate people, again, that CBD is mostly the medical side of things. THC is mostly the kind of recreational side of things. Uh, that once you ingest it, it does take some time to work. So the, the kind of rookie mistake is you buy a bar of marijuana impregnated chocolate and you buy one and you eat one square and you say, oh, didn't do anything. And then you eat the rest of the chocolate bar and then you're completely, you know, out to lunch for the rest of the day. So you have to treat it like a medicine. You know, you have to say, try it. And then several hours have to go by before you decide whether, you know, you want an, another dose. Oh, so we're talking hours rather than 30 minutes. Well, uh, so there's two things. So one is you've got to absorb it. So, you know, orally the the... The T max, as we would call it, the time to the maximum concentration is probably 30 minutes to an hour, depending on exactly what it's in. Um, and then there's how long does it take to get around your bloodstream and have the appropriate effects. But what you're raising is how little we actually know. And there is this tremendous opportunity to study the most basic pharmacology about medical marijuana. I mean, one simplistic thing is you get that oil and then instead of putting it in the water and drinking it down what if you rubbed it on your gums would that give you a shorter time to us to an effect these are things that still need to be figured out okay, I, I, I have a question so uh, so dr. Wheatley price have you partaken of uh, marijuana myself yes I actually am probably fairly unusual for my generation that I have never tried Me neither marijuana. we are just like the squarest people I think so. Yeah. Uh, I think so. But um, in the clinic now, you know, we get asked all the time and uh, all ages, uh, people who have used marijuana recreationally before or not, uh, people asking on behalf of their parents or their children. Um, and I think, like you said, that the open relationship I find very important because uh, I suspect other, a lot of people otherwise might do it and feel guilty yeah. if they tell me that I'll be disappointed in them for some reason, whereas the opposite would be true. They're the ones who are feeling ill and want to try and feel better, so if that works for them... Then but one of the reasons I ask you that question is because if you hesitate and refuse to answer that question, you build this kind of, it's not an appropriate thing to talk about, the more, I mean, you can say, look, I'm completely square, I've never used it, but at least you're making it an okay thing to talk about. Well, uh, I haven't I haven't thought about it that way, but that's um, I'm, I'm glad you raised that, and that's probably something that I'll take away from this. Um, in I, I hope though that generally we have honest relationships with our patients in you know ac across the board, um, you know, and there's a line between privacy and and a personal life as a physician. But yes, on, but, uh, on that point, yeah, uh, yeah. But likewise, I've not tried chemotherapy either. Me neither. <laughs> Well, on that note, Dr. Kamish, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to talk about cannabis and lung cancer. Uh, it's been very informative to me. And uh, if you are listening and you have uh, questions about this, um, please do um, speak to your physician.
Thank you again for joining us. Lung Cancer Voices was made possible in part by a generous donation from Marielle and Nick Burris. Thanks to our producer, Ryan Mullen. Please send us your feedback, like and follow us on Facebook at LungCan and on Twitter at LungCancer underscore can. For more information about lung cancer or to donate, volunteer or share your story, visit our webpage at lungcancercanada.ca.